This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to the Life Study Program on Free FM 89.0. I'm Stuart Finlay. Life Study of the Bible is produced by Living Stream Ministry, Anaheim, California, and brought to you by The Church in Hamilton. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Scriptures. We hope that through these studies you will get a deeper appreciation of our dear Lord Jesus. This week it's Francis Ball with Witness Lee for our program in the Life Study of the Gospel of John. The title is Life's Prayer. The verses are John 17, verses 1 to 5. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is lifestudyprogram at gmail.com. We'll repeat this again later. Now here's Francis and Witness Lee. With us on the program today is Francis Ball. Francis, today brings us to a window into the very heart of God, the prayer of the Lord Jesus in John 17. Well, I believe uh, this prayer is very, very significant, mainly because it comes at the end of a long message that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples just before he went to the cross. Chapters 14, 15, and 16 give us the message that the Lord Jesus spoke on his way to be crucified. So this, of course, is a very significant portion of the Word of God, particularly in the Gospel of John. And after that long message, then he closes with this prayer. And this prayer is so meaningful that unless you really pray it, or I should say read it prayerfully, you will not know what its subject is. So at this time, I'd just like to mention something about this prayer that touched me. After you read the three chapters on the, uh, the message he gave, and then you come into this chapter, it's like stepping into a room where a person is praying, a godly person is praying, and you feel uh, uneasy to interrupt them, and you certainly don't want to come in to, to inject any thought of your own. So there's a holy atmosphere here of a communication in the divine trinity that only the Holy Spirit can make known to us. I really treasure this chapter. It's a fitting conclusion to the message in the previous three chapters. Only God himself could have written such chapters as we covered. No human being could compose a message like this, nor could a human being pray a prayer like this, so high and so holy. Now let's join Witness Lee for today's life study of John 17. I believe you all know that chapter 17 is a concluding prayer made by the Lord to his own message. He gave a long message in three chapters, 14, 15, and 16. Then 
he offered a prayer <coughs> to conclude his message. If we read these four chapters carefully, we will realize that uh, these four chapters all have a very specific flavor. A specific flavor in utterance, in composition. Why it is so special, so impressive, so unique, because it is altogether too divine. Why do you understand it? You don't understand it? I tell you, if you are in the spirit reading these few chapters, you just sense the divine flavor. Who can compose these four chapters? Could that fisherman, John of Galilee, utter such a thing? Compose such a thing? Impossible. How we have to worship him. How we have to worship him for these four chapters. How we have to worship him for his last message on this earth. And how we have to worship him for his concluding prayer. I heard when I was very, very young that this prayer of the Lord is for the oneness. But when I read and studied this chapter, I couldn't say that the subject of this prayer is oneness. The oneness is just a surface. But the thing that is underneath the oneness is the profound thing. The subject, the central concept of this chapter as a prayer is not the oneness, but the glorification. Father, glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify you. This is the very, very central concept of the Lord's Prayer. By seeing the main point in chapters 14, 15, and 16, we can understand what is to have the Son glorified that the Father may be glorified. His message was with the main point that the Son may be glorified, so that the Father in the Son may be also glorified. Glorified by what way? Glorified through whom? Glorified through the organism. When the triune God is propagated, multiplied and expressed through this organism, that is the Son glorified. And in his glorification, the Father is also glorified. I still feel burdened to share with you what is to be glorified. You know, any flower seed sowed into the earth after it grows out of the earth and it blossoms. That is the seed glorified. 
It is by that blossoming the seed is glorified. Let's interrupt Witness Lee's message right here, Francis. I believe that if you had asked me prior to this word about the Lord's Prayer in John 17, I would have told you it was about oneness. But it's actually much deeper than that, isn't it? Uh, Yes, I also would have given the same title of oneness to this prayer. But as Witness Lee pointed out, the very first verse tells us that there's a deeper meaning. The real significance is in this verse. And the real point on which he's praying is in this verse. What does he say? He begins by saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. It tells us right away that this subject is glorification. The messages in uh, chapters 14 through 16 were also on the subject of glorification. For example, in chapter 15, where we learn about the true vine and the branches, it's by the bearing of much fruit that this vine glorifies the Father. Those fruit-bearing branches of this wonderful vine are really a glorifying to the Father who is the one taking care of the vine. The more fruit that is borne by the vine, the more glory that goes to the Father. This fruit is the issue of the divine life flowing in that true vine. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Jesus Christ coming in the flesh was the little seed. In him, in his humanity shell, all the beauty of life, all the shape, the style of the divine life, all the colorful aspect of the divine life were concealed, were confined in that little seed, the little nursery. One day, he was sown, or he fell into the earth. And he died there, and he grew up. And he got the blossoming in his resurrection. All the life beauty, the life form, the lifestyle, the life riches, the life color, life everything got released, got expressed. That was the sin glorified. Whatever God the Father is, is embodied in the sin. When the Son is glorified, the Father is also glorified in the glorification of the Son. Here, the Son prayed, Father, glorify the Son, that you may be also glorified. Now you understand, this is the subject of this prayer. This concluding prayer of the Lord is the glorification of the triune God. And this glorification of the triune God has three stages. In other words, this prayer's answer of this prayer's fulfillment has three stages. The number one stage was that the Lord Jesus was resurrected. The Lord's resurrection was the first stage of the matter of glorification of the triune God. The second stage 
of this glorification is the church life. You look at the church in the Acts and the day of Pentecost. My, when you read the record there, you can see what? You can see the beauty of the divine life. You can see the riches of the divine life in the church there. In the local church, we all have to believe. As long as it is a proper local church there, I tell you, there is an amount of the life beauty there. The third stage of this glorification is the new Jerusalem. The ultimate fulfillment of the Lord's prayer here in this chapter will be there in the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem. My, look at the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is a full picture showing how the sun is glorified in that city and how the Father is glorified in the Son's glorification. Marvelous. Let's pause here again, Francis. This section showed us the three stages of glorification, culminating with the New Jerusalem. But before you comment on that, I really like the picture of the blossoming flower to illustrate glorification. I have to admit that that illustration really touched me, too. That illustration given by Witness Lee concerning the uh, sowing of a seed that is glorified by its blossoming, it really makes the matter of glorification quite clear. A little flower seed uh, that he spoke of here is first sown into the earth. Then it grows out of the earth, and eventually it blossoms. That seed contains all the life elements, the life shape, the color, the beauty. All those things were hidden in that seed. You couldn't see them. But when that seed blooms, all the elements of life, color, shape, all those things shine forth which is really the glorification of that little seed. Of course, with the Lord Jesus being glorified, that means that all that He is as the embodiment of the triune God are then made visible, made apparent. They become expressed. God's life becomes expressed. In other words, they're glorified. So first, all these uh, elements of what He is and what's in Him is glorified by His resurrection. Luke's gospel makes it clear that in that resurrection, he was glorified. He said, should not this son of man enter into death and be glorified? Well, his glory is his resurrection. So the glorification of what was in that seed that fell into the ground was really when he was resurrected. Then, not only that, but this glorification continues. In the second stage, you could say, the church life is the expression of this divine life. And so it's a further glorification of the Son. That is, the church life, especially as it was seen in the book of Acts, is a glorification of the Son in that His life and nature is expanded and enlarged in the church. We have to admit that there is a human aspect to the church, which sometimes makes it not so expressive of this glorification. But there is also the divine life. And when that church is living in the divine life, it's expressing the glorification of the Son of God. There is still an expression of the divine life, and that expression is in the church life. 
So you could say that there are at least these two aspects of the glorification in his resurrection and in the church life. But ultimately, there is a third aspect, as Witness Lee pointed out, and that aspect is the new Jerusalem. In that stage, the divine life mingled with the uplifted human life is the highest stage of glorification. Now let's rejoin Witness Lee. Let's go on. The sun to be glorified, I like this phrase, along with the Father. Along with. Oh, Father, let me have the glory along with you. Father, glorify me along with you with the glory. Right? You have the word wait used twice. Father, glorify the Son along with you. Wait the glory which I had before the foundation of the world. And this means what? This means the Son is exactly the same as the Father. In glory, in glorification, there is no degree between the Son and the Father. The Son is glorified along with the Father. And with the same glory as the Father enjoys. The Father could never be glorified apart from the Son. Why? Because the Father has entrusted whatever he is and has in the Son. The Father is altogether embodied in the Son. So the Father couldn't be glorified apart from the Son. He could be only glorified in the Son's glorification. And this glorification is through the Son's believers. The Father has given him the authority over all flesh, over all mankind. And this is for what? This is for him to give the eternal life to all whom the Father gives him. I tell you, billions, billions of humankind, but God the Father loved you. Why he loved you, I don't know, but only how he loved you. And he has selected you, and he has marked you out. What can mark, I didn't know, but anyhow, you have to believe that upon you, there is a divine mark. And then God the Father has given you to his son. Do you know that you are a good gift? The Father gave the Son. Don't say, I'm a poor sinner, I'm so pitiful. In a sense, you are. But in another sense, you have to say, praise the triumph God. I am a precious gift. I am a precious gift. The Father gave the Son. I am so dear, I am so precious, I am so good. I am a good gift. Amen. I am not a trash can. Amen. 
the father would never give his trash can as a gift to his dear son. As I am one that has been given to God, dear son, surely I must be someone so precious. Hallelujah. If you have seen this, your view, your attitude, your concept, all will be tinted. Not only concern yourself, but tinted concern all the same. You will love every dear saint because every dear saint is a gift. And a gift selected by the Father. We were selected in the biggest universal gift shop. We all have been selected and then we all have been given to the dear son. Marvelous. The father gave the son the authority not only to overrule the mankind, but also to maintain the mankind in order that you may come into be. Now you are here. Praise God. Now you are here. We all are the dear gifts the father give to the son eternal life I'd like to say a little bit about this what is eternal life when I was young I was told the eternal life is just a kind of blessing in the future listen the eternal life is a life every life has its function the dog life's function is barking the bird's life function is soaring. Now, what is the function of the divine life? The divine life's function is to know God. Hebrew 8 says, there's no need to teach any New Testament believer that they may know God. Why? Because everyone has the divine life. And the divine life is one life that knows God and to know Christ. Oh, that I may know Christ. I may know Christ. And you can know because you have the divine life. And the divine life is one life that knows Christ. And this is its function. Marvelous. Well, Francis, first of all, we apologize to our listeners for the poor quality of the tape on the last minute or so. It, it's an old tape with some technical problems, but the point made, I think, warranted the inconvenience. First, we have the Father giving the believers as gifts to the Son, and then the Son giving eternal life to the believers by which we can know God and Christ. Would you comment on this sweet portion? You're right. This is a sweet, sweet portion. What a wonderful fact that God... The Father chose me and He chose you before the foundation of the world. We were selected, and we were God's own choice. Not only that, but He gave each of us as a precious gift to the Son. To me, this is marvelous. God chose us, and to Him we are precious. Of course, I realize to ourselves we don't think of it in that term, but we have to look. The Lord would, God the Father would never give his son a trash can or something so meaningless. What he gave the son were the precious ones that he chose himself and selected. He also gave the son all authority to give to all those that he gave to him. 
The Father gave them to him, and he gave the Son authority to give life, to give the eternal life to each one of these. So now we have the eternal life given to us by the Father through the Son, or I should say by the Son, by the authority given to him from the Father. So uh, not only that, but this eternal life that he gives us to all of those who the Father has given to him has a special function. This life is uh, not just something that uh, was given to us like a gift that we're going to open up sometime in the future and see what it's like, and one day we'll, uh, we'll enjoy that eternal life in some place. No, this is the life that the Son has given every one of his believers by the authority given to him from the Father. And that life has a function, and the function of that life is that we may know God and we can know Christ. Without this life, we may know about God, and we know, may know about Christ, but to know him intrinsically, to know him livingly, to know him in reality, we need that life. And that life has been given to all his believers as the eternal life, not waiting for a future day, for right now we can know God, and we can know Christ. Isn't it glorious yeah, that we could know God by life? Not just by knowledge, but by life. That life has been given to us. So we can see that the eternal life is not something like a gift to be opened up, as I said. No. Eternal life is the gift of God himself to enable us to know God and to know Christ. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth, and that we might go on to know him, have the full knowledge of the Son of God. So this, this portion is really precious. Thank you, Francis. We're always happy to hear from you and to answer any questions you may have. We have copies of the recovery version of the New Testament with its accompanying footnotes available, and these are free. We'd love to send you a copy. You can email us at lifestudyprogram at gmail.com. That's all lowercase letters with no gaps. If you'd rather, you can order a free copy from Bibles for New Zealand at bfnz.org.nz. They also have a phone number, 0800 40 40 80. Join me again next week at the same time, 2.30pm, when we will have the next life study in the book of John. We close with the hymn, Pray to Labour with the Lord. And it's from the CD, Enter the Veil.
listening to Free FM 89.0, a great station supported by New Zealand On Air. We hope you've enjoyed today's Life City program and thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 to find out more.